Are you a sexy, indulgent musician suffering from consistent long hours, crippling self-doubt, and constant disappointment? Well, do we have a show for you. Welcome to Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment, a bi-weekly deep dive into what it takes to be a healthy and successful musician in the modern industry. My name is Melody Kaiser. And I'm Dustin Williams. And we are both full-time musicians and creative entrepreneurs. And today we are discussing and debunking some common music industry myths. Yeah. So we've all heard them before. Um, They change um, in the the industry all the time. And as it grows and shifts um, with new technology and um, new artists. Um, But we wanted to address some of the musical misconceptions and give our opinions on their uh, validity. Um, So... Let's not waste time. Let's jump right into it. Yeah. So um, I guess the first one, one that you hear all the time is like, I don't need to know the business. I just need to know the song creation, the art part, and I'll just hire somebody to do that for me. Big mistake. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it can work for very, very few people, like very rare cases. Um, Because generally, like people in the industry, let's just say managers, booking agents, much less record labels, they already want somebody that's doing it and successful with it without them. Um, You have to think like um, these people don't want to have to do all the work for you when you're making no money. You already need to be making money for them to kind of come in and help you out. Um, I hear this all the time, don't you? Yeah, yeah, for sure. And, you know, I think there's... um... I understand where, where people are coming from. Cause like, I hate the business side. Like it sucks so much, but, um, you know, especially now that, that we don't have things like artist development, um, which, you know, for better or for worse, because, you know, back in the day when there was more of that artists were giving away a lot more of their income, um, to, you know, the labels or to, you know, managers or whatever. And, right. and it still happens a lot now for sure, especially with like 360 deals and whatnot. But, yeah, um, it's uh, it's not good to to try to just you know uh, hand off, I guess, the business side to somebody else because you, you know you don't necessarily know if that person has your best interests at heart. And even if they're someone that you're close to, maybe a friend who's now like a friendager, as um, some people say, um, you know, they still have their own aspirations and dreams and, and goals, and that may not necessarily line up with what you're trying to do. Um, so yeah, it's definitely, um, it's risky (laughs) for sure. Yeah. And I will say too, like, it's going to be a lot easier to find people that are going to be the best fit for what you're doing in your business model. If you're already doing kind of doing it on your own. Yeah. Cause those people Mm -hmm. can kind of see what you're doing, what, what your style is kind of how you want to approach it. Um, and I will be the first to say like, as somebody who's worked, um, with publicists and with different people in the industry, um, just kind of trying them out, not necessarily doing it before they come in. Mm -hmm. It very rarely works. Um, and a lot of the time, I mean, most of the time there's an upfront cost, like you hire a publicist, you're going to pay, you know, (laughs) Hey Darla, um, you're going to pay like 2k at minimum sometimes, you know, just for, for a little bit of promotion. And, uh, in my experiences, as well as yours, they, often drop the ball on that. Yeah, no, they definitely do. Um, You know, it's just kind of one of those things. um, 
they kind of just tend to take your money and and do what they can and then say like well you weren't doing well on your own to begin with so right. like how am i supposed to you know make something out of nothing you know and it, i i mean i get it to a degree but i will say too um if you're just hiring somebody and you're at the very beginning, don't go with somebody that's for bigger artists, like go for somebody that specializes in smaller artists, yeah. because people that specialize in bigger artists are not going to know what the fuck to do with your career. Like, honestly, yeah, for sure. And for I sure. know that that sounds mean. And yeah, in certain cases, like they may. But you have to imagine if they're representing Beyonce, they're not going to know what to do with like the tingleberries from like, <laughs> tingleberries. From like Birmingham, Alabama, you know what I mean? Like totally. they're going to have yeah. no idea. So when you pick, um, business representatives for your, for your band or for your art, be sure that they specialize in working with artists at kind of your level. Yeah. Um, right. and that's just like, it, that's advice that I could give you because I've done it the other way. Right. And you waste thousands of dollars and you get nothing for it yeah and it really can be defeating too so there's like a mental health aspect to this as well of just like protecting your own sanity yeah know? for sure you know um yeah all of that ties together so i would say um just having a basic understanding of the business you don't have to know um every single nook and cranny um kind of just learn as you go is is kind of probably the best method mm -hmm. Um, or if you want to take some like courses, there are some like certificates and stuff that you can get, um, degrees if you want to go that route. But, um, honestly, the internet is just as full of knowledge. So if you're really, really yeah. committed to it and all of that kind of stuff, then you can, you can get a lot. Like um, one website I know that, that we used to use, um, in, in my old band is, uh, Sonic Bids all the time. We would, oh, yeah. or, or we would like, they would have articles on there too, that would be talking about like you know, what you should and shouldn't do or how to like book your own DIY tour or stuff like that can be, can be really helpful. Yeah. So Sonic Bids was founded by this guy named Panos Panay and some other guy, but basically what it was is it was like a directory for booking agents to find talent and for talent to find booking agents. Um, because when the internet was first a thing that, that was really difficult to mm. do, that was a problem that existed, but now it's transformed into like all these blogs and all this cool, like resource information. So Sonic Bids is great. Um, if you're looking to book shows, Indie on the Move is great. Um, you know, but, but honestly, nothing is going to be as good as just like going and meeting people in person right. and just trying to establish relationships with people. Um, cause they get a lot of emails and mm -hmm. they're not going to probably respond to you if they don't see something within a minute or two that they really like, or if they already know who you are. Right. Um, so yeah, that one's really, really important. Um, like I said, it doesn't have to be a deep, deep knowledge, just a basic idea. Um, just so that you don't get screwed over because <laughs> that happens a lot. All the time. Yeah, it happens a lot. We could tell a bunch of stories about that uh, from just personal experience. Okay, so kind of a, a businessy kind of aspect, business meets art. Uh, another myth is I wrote my part, so I get a songwriting credit. Wrong. So very yeah. wrong. Yeah, unfortunately, um, that's not really how how that works um, for copyright. Uh, we've talked about it a couple of times, but um, 
basically the, the only things that you can copyright are melody and lyrics. So like backing tracks wouldn't be copyrightable. Mm-hmm. Um, guitar riffs won't be copyrightable. Drum loops are not copyrightable. Um, so yeah, a lot of people think that they are. Yeah. And, and that isn't to say that maybe, you know, like if you write a very, um, particular riff, like, you know, um, like think like the D- the Beatles day tripper, like whoever wrote that riff, like that is a pretty foundational part of the song. So you might have some, um, I guess water, so to speak, you know, in court, if, if it came to that, but guarantee isn't there for sure. And, you know, and we've mentioned it before in like a, a session player's perspective as well. Like, you know, if you came in and you played the bass on a song, unless you negotiate something like chances are, I mean, that's it. You get paid, you go home and that song is not yours in any capacity. Um, but yeah, for the most part, if you're like, you know, the drummer of a band or something like, you know, hopefully you guys as, as a group have just come to the agreement, like some bands, I forget who all does this. Um, you've mentioned some before, but doing the equal share. Right. Yeah. A bunch of bands do that. So here's like the basic, the basic advice that I can give you just from what I know about it and what I've seen happen a lot before. If you feel like, like Dustin was saying, if you feel like, hey, I wrote the guitar riff and that's what made the whole song come together, like I deserve something, you need to say that right then. Mm-hmm. You need to say, okay, I get 40% of the music credit because I wrote the song or I wrote the riff. Mm-hmm. And that's what we wrote the whole song around. Like if you don't say it right then, I almost can guarantee they're not going to give it to you. Get it in um, writing too. Exactly. So yeah, split sheets are really important for this. Um, Because if you have a split sheet and it says that you have 40% of the music, that's it. Like that, that is your binding contract to, I wrote the music for the song. If you don't say it and you're in court later arguing that you wrote the guitar riff, um, it, I mean, it depends. Um, There have been several copyright court cases that were very surprising in recent years. Mm. Um, So, you know, you never know. Um, But, I mean, if you have the split sheet, they really cannot argue it. Think of that as like a contract. Um, Mm -hmm. So really important. I mean, that's the number one thing that you always hear about business your whole life is like get it in writing. Yep. And that, I honestly, that is 100% true for the music business too. Um, and that goes for everything. Like if you're okay, another really important thing that people mess up with this, and this would be something that Dustin could speak on because he's a session musician is, um, work for hire. So if you hire, um, a session musician, I guess, let's just say, Mm. and, um, you're just paying them a flat fee. You don't want them to get any residual royalties for anything in the future. You need to get that in writing. Yep. Um, It just avoids litigation later. Like who wants to go to court? Like, honestly, I would rather pretty much do anything than have to go to court. So like, it's literally just getting a piece of paper signed. So I know that it's sometimes awkward to do it up front, but it's way more awkward to like go to court. (laughs) Promise. (laughs) Right. It's awful. Like, you know, you have to do deposition. It's just terrible. Like, 
worst experience ever. So like just avoid it altogether. Yeah. Just get the contract. And and you know, there may be some people out here thinking, because I, I used to think this when I was like a lot younger, that, hey, you know, well, it's okay if I don't get songwriting for this song, like songwriting credit. I know I just wrote the bass line or the drum part or whatever, but, you know, it's my band, so it's all good. Like, we're all going to take care of each other. Like, don't count on that, you know? Um, not just from, like, the obvious side of, like, hey, people can surprise you in both great ways and horrible ways. Um, but you know, years down the road, if for whatever reason that song comes back around and like maybe a TV show wants to pick it up, you're going to be pretty bummed out if you didn't negotiate some kind of ownership of, of the music. Um, because now like other people are getting paid off of something that you, you know, were a part of and maybe even did contribute like a really big part of as far as like the, the recording side of it. So yeah, for sure. Get it, get writing. Yeah. And another thing to add on to that, even if um, it's not malicious intent that people um, kind of screw you over. I mean, to be honest with you, a lot of people I've worked with are just naive and mm. stupid. Like musicians, <laughs> like honestly, like I know that's super mean, but like it's true. Like they um, they don't think about anybody but themselves in that moment. Mm -hmm. And it's like, mm -hmm. I don't even know with everybody that it's like a malicious intent i think right. it's literally just like they're just like yay i got my money <laughs> yeah <laughs> like, right, they don't for care sure. you know mm -hmm. it doesn't even cross their mind um now those boundaries can also get crossed <laughs> for sure naivety can turn into malicious intent pretty yeah, quick definitely, definitely um but yeah you know the basic idea is just writing a part doesn't guarantee you anything if you feel like you deserve something get it in writing yep up front yep um that is definitely a myth that mm -hmm. I hear all the time. <clears throat> um, okay, so question or myth number three: streaming doesn't pay anybody. Yes, while this may seem true from the artist's perspective, um, the truth is streaming does pay. Usually, the the, the labels are <laughs> usually the person who has the rights to the masters. Yeah, I mean, streaming pay is getting better, pretty much all the time. Um, due to litigation, <laughs> um, they just Back keep, to the court thing. Yeah, they just keep. Um, you know, there there's a lot of arguments, right? Because um, sync licensing has gotten way bigger in recent years. Which sync licensing is basically just syncing audio to visual. So music and movies, music and TV, music and commercials, whatever, whatever. Um, that has had a really big impact on streaming. Um huge impact and as they kind of grow together um record labels are coming at streaming services pretty hard yeah um and artists i mean that was the whole point of or one of the big points in like the music modernization act of like 2018 or yeah. whatever mm -hmm. it was you know trying to hey this isn't fair um because basically what they were doing is um streaming services were um, paying very small uh, royalty payments because they were treating them as if they were like downloads, which mm. artists get a very small. But artists were saying, no, but it's not a download. Like people are accessing this. Mm -hmm. So it should be a performance rate, which artists get like 50% of. Right. And so Hugely they were, different. yeah. And so they were like, no, like that's not fair. And so it's been a lot of battle. Um, but the payments have gotten better. 
but yes, um, just because of the the ownership level that re- record labels have, record labels are making more than they have in about 20 years right now. Mm-hmm. Just like all the other big businesses, yeah. post-COVID especially. And you know, it's super interesting, mm-hmm. kind of like a little offside of this though, but it, streaming has definitely impacted it. Is have you noticed um, in the news and stuff how many artists are selling their catalogs to um, I, yeah, publishers guess, yeah. or corporations? Or um, so basically, what I've noticed happening because I'm kind of a music business nerd is um, Wall Street now owns huge portions of songwriting catalogs. That's wild. And huge portions. Be illegal. Yeah, huge portions though. Like they're all they're putting billions of dollars into these um hedge funds these investment funds that are buying catalogs just buying every catalog you can imagine um that's wild and there's so many of them there's so many of them now and it's just like um wall street owns basically uh music publishing to a large degree these days um because they saw like oh like now that streaming's a thing uh, sales aren't so much the thing. Mm-hmm. Now it's the publishing that's making all the money. Mm-hmm. So Wall Street like came in in their Wall Street way and like her, 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 or, like twisting <laughs> their Wall Street monopoly mustaches. <laughs> yeah, with cocaine stains <laughs> under their nose. Right, and, yeah, yeah, yeah. But I've noticed that a lot. So streaming is a force to be reckoned with. And I will agree with you as an independent artist with... Even if you get like 50,000 streams, yeah, it's a, it's a, it's a crappy business. Yeah. Might get a couple thousand. Maybe. I don't even know if you would get that much. Right. But in the big picture, Mm. people are banking. Yeah. I mean, there's, there's a reason the music industry is still a thing. Like it exists because there is money. There is money to be made and there is money being made. It's just us that's not making it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, it's (laughs) the American thing, right? Yeah. Mm -hmm. It is now corporate owned basically yeah. mm-hmm. making um, money off the sweat of other people yeah, yeah it's it's public trading of songs actually yeah. and a lot of them are still privately traded uh but it, basically the idea is like billionaires are the ones who own like catalogs now yeah right um Bezos and, owns the beatles <laughs> yeah and yeah. there and there are different levels of it too um there's a company i can't remember their name which is embarrassing because they're a really big deal but they basically have always been privately traded and privately funded mm-hmm. you know it's like those kind of things where they're like investment fund number two owns mm-hmm. blah, blah, blah. Like yeah, nobody yeah, yeah. cares mm-hmm. and so but they own like their strategy was to buy legacy artists recordings mm-hmm. so they own very little but they make like very competitive amount because a legacy would be like michael jackson or something led zeppelin well technically sony owns that still um because i'm just thinking of yeah well yeah it would be like um like most older artists okay it would be like the catalogs of i don't know for sure but it would be people like led zeppelin whitney houston Mm, uh ray charles rolling stone yeah just um artists that you know are gonna like make money yeah for <laughs> like sure. for, sure. for sure um so yeah so streaming does pay somebody it's just not you okay <laughs> <laughs> ending on a happy note <laughs> um, or me or <laughs> anybody else yeah so um okay so myth number four this is dustin's main myth 
uh, that he <laughs> wants to talk about. His main myth. We're this is my main myth. Alliteration. Here. Right. Um, so the better the gear is, the better I'll sound. Yes. Um, yeah. So first of all, not true. <laughs> I mean, ask just about any uh, professional or famous musician, especially. I mean, you hear them say this all the time, you know. Like a lot of them started off on on either crap instruments or really really cheap instruments, and um, you know, like you can you can make anything sound good if you know just a little bit about the instrument and like technique and stuff. But I mean, I can't tell you how many times I've seen bands roll in to a venue and they've got Rickenbackers and you know Les Paul special studio custom mega ultras. And, you know, Marshall Hathstacks, blah, 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 blah. And then the band sucks. And, you know, not just as musicians, but maybe as people too. I don't know. It just depends on the scenario. But um, the gear does not make you better, you know? I mean, and and it's, it's maybe it'll be more obvious if you think about like, you know, tools of like a tradesman, like a, a carpenter, right? Just because you have the best Stanley saw doesn't mean you're not going to cut your finger off, you know? So like, um, it's, this is a pretty straightforward one, but, um, you know, I mean, for the longest time as a session player, I was playing on like Squire precision basses and Squire jazz basses and, you know, Galleon Gruger solid state heads, like, and all that equipment did great. And yeah, like I've upgraded, excuse me, upgraded over the years. And now I play more fenders and more Aguilar and all this stuff. But, um, it's not really because it sounds better. It's really just reliability. Like the equipment's going to last longer and I'm using it all the time. So I need something that's going to, that's going to last. Um, but yeah, you do not need to have thousands of dollars worth of really high end equipment to, to get something to sound good, especially, you know, from like the modern home studio perspective. I mean, as awesome as it is to have like cool preamps and stuff like what we're using now, like, you know, it's really like so much of this stuff can be replaced digitally now with plugins. Um, and then, you know, as far as for live performance and stuff, like knowing a little bit about EQ, a little bit about, you know, how to work a compressor pedal or something can be a game changer and you don't need to spend a crap ton of money. So, yeah, I mean, I kind of have an anecdote about this. Um, it was really weird like when I first started like playing music out right I had a Epiphone Blues Custom Amp mm -hmm. which was like 350 bucks or something mm -hmm. like you know it was tube yeah but it was not like you know it's kind of like a Bouguera or something yeah, like yeah, that yeah. so um I had the Boss ME50 multi-effect mm. which was hated yep. by everybody ever <laughs> I thought it was great because I didn't know any better um and honestly like it yeah i like i still have it i like i think yeah. that it's yeah and then the guitars were always the thing that i really liked mm. i was just like ooh, like this one's pretty mm -hmm. <laughs> you know so <laughs> totally. so um it was really hard uh when i got about 18 i started hanging out with tons of like musician friends right mm. and everybody was always just like shitting on my stuff and i was Damn. just like oh man like well, I can't afford anything. Like I was a kid, yeah, you know, I, right. like I had what my parents bought me or mm -hmm. what my mom bought me. So, um, so yeah, I noticed though, once I started playing with other people that, um, so it definitely, for me, I feel like different genres 
have different like expectations of like gear level oh yeah and stuff um but like honestly like it didn't make them better players no like not at all Mm -hmm. um you know you could still tell when they messed up they just messed up in hd quality (laughs) (laughs) that's perfect i love it yeah you know like oh you messed up in stereo with like two (laughs) amps going oh right now we get to hear it from both sides right so i mean yeah no it definitely won't make you sound it, it won't make your playing better i will say though like yeah sure to like a certain degree it will make you like sound better sure you know i mean playing like through a line six spider versus a vintage plexi. Mm-hmm. I mean, yeah, obviously, be a right? obviously. Yeah. But like, my thing is, if I went and saw a band in a blues dive bar, and we know the band that I'm I'm hitting at because you played with them, oh. <laughs> um, and the guitar player, and I'm just saying the guitar player because that's what I play is like killing it. Mm-hmm. I don't care that he's going through a solid state right. champ. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. I don't give a crap at all. Right. Like um you know, who who cares? It sounds good. He's yep. playing really well. Like that never even crossed my mind. Whereas if I go and um see a band um and they set up like a Marshall full stack and it takes them they go over their setup time by 10 minutes in between bands and then they sound awful because they can't play their instruments like then i almost hate them more because yeah. i'm like oh wow like you spent thirty five hundred dollars four thousand dollars on a marshall full stack and you can't even play yeah, <laughs> like, right. that's super frustrating yeah to me. totally totally um, like, oh i could have that marshall right <laughs> yeah yeah so like, so yeah i mean it's it's definitely not true to a degree i guess i could see where people are coming from like, yeah, you always want to try to upgrade yourself and upgrade your equipment. I mean, obviously, yeah. like that's yeah. a normal part of it. But what what we're getting at is like, it's not going to make you a better player. Yeah, exactly. It's, that, yeah. Uh, it's not going to make you anything that you're not, unless it's like some kind of like MIDI thing where you just hit a button and it does some like... And even then, that's not you. That's the computer doing right. all the work. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, at the end of the day, you you need to practice your instrument. Um, I still sound like shit on a DW custom drum kit. Like, <laughs> I'm just gonna put that out there. Like, I right. still sound like garbage. Um, but whereas Mike Portnoy gets on YouTube and plays the Hello Kitty kit and actually sounds pretty it sounds good. great. Yeah. So mm-hmm. like, that's the difference, right? Yeah, totally um, for sure. So yeah, I mean, I could see where they're coming from with that yeah, one. But. Yeah, for sure. There's there's some aspect to where gear matters, but yeah, like you said, it, it doesn't change your skill level yeah. for sure. So yeah, okay. So for this next one, I actually know some people that have done this, and um, maybe in the future we can do a whole episode on this next myth, mm. um, just because it, it's a very interesting part of music history. Yeah, and they always have a super interesting perspective. Mm-hmm. And this myth is if you win a singing television contest you're going to have a great musical career oh yeah you will no problems whatsoever you'll be fine you're gonna blow up everywhere (laughs) um this this one's tricky right because um kelly clarkson won american idol in 1999 Mm. right that was like that year it was like the most watched thing on all of television right so 
people saw that model mm-hmm. and they were like, well, why don't, why doesn't everybody just do that? Right. Right. Well, there's several things to it. Um, it's definitely dwindled in viewership. Yeah, for sure. Um, I mean, I American Idol like wasn't on for a couple of years and now it's back. Was it off the air for a couple of years? I, I think know. so. I, I feel like I remember it. Mm. Like it just like went away and then all of a sudden they're like, we're back. Huh. Um, okay. Yeah. And then you have the voice. But mm-hmm. but the, basically like anybody that I've talked to that has done this, it's a great opportunity to just try something to meet people. Yep. It's a great way to learn about yourself because mm-hmm. um, you, you learn like just introspective stuff. Yeah. Like, mm-hmm. Um, why do I care so much, um, that I'm having like a panic attack before I go on national t- you know, right. just stuff like that. Sure. Um, but no, it, it doesn't necessarily mean you're going to have a great career. Even if you win, let's, let's right. just, even if you win like the number one spot, I, I know this is bad, but I couldn't tell you more than one person that's ever won the voice. Yeah, I mean, I mean, I, yeah, I never really paid that much attention to the show either, so I, I couldn't say. Well, I'm just saying, I haven't seen it. Like, I, I haven't seen them explode. Yeah, off into other, like, yeah. like sure where there, there everybody few, knows who there are. Yeah. yeah, I mean, sure. Like, there are so many artists these days that you can't possibly know them all. Right. Like, yeah. 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 You know, For sure. there, I think I read something the other day in um, Billboard magazine that Spotify has like. Over half a million new songs uploaded every single day. Jesus. So it's like, it's like, you know, there's no way to know everybody. And I get that. And I'm sorry if somebody's like offended by that, but I couldn't tell you somebody that's won the voice in in several years. Mm -hmm. And so like, I think that a lot of people are probably in my camp on that. Yeah. Um, And, and so I don't think. Like, I mean, there's, there's a lot about, you know, these, these shows that I don't know also from, from a consumer perspective, cause I never really was interested in them, mm-hmm. but I know like some, some things to consider about these shows. Like one reason, for example, why you might not have a successful career is, um, at least with American Idol, um, I think it's like you sign like a 10 year contract where basically like for the next 10 years, everything you do has to go through them, has to be approved by them. Uh, all the masters are owned by them. You know, however much percentage of rights is given to them. I, again, I don't know all the details here. Um, and I've only known like one or two people who've done something like this and then it, they didn't win. Um, but you can kind of back yourself into a corner. It's like a record le- label deal, but like a really, really rough one. Um, right. I know. mean, they get a, they get a very high percentage of everything that you do, but think about it in this way. Let's think about it from their perspective, right? Mm-hmm. Most of the people who go on American Idol are, I mean, I don't want to say they're nobodies, but you know what I mean? They're very small mm-hmm. artists. Yeah. At most, they may have, you know, high, like 80,000 followers or something like they're, yeah. they have momentum, but they're not to the level that American Idol wants them to be right eventually right mm-hmm. so like a record label i think it's capital that american idol signs people okay. to or at least it used to be i i don't know anymore um but think about the amount of money that they're gonna have to put behind you to get you to the level that they want you to be at right yeah so like in their minds they're like okay well we have to invest like eight million dollars in you so we should get you know, um, 
90 whatever percent of whatever you get. Mm -hmm. And the hard thing now too, and we're going to do a whole episode on music business stuff, but since we're on kind of this record label topic for a second is, um, let, let's go back a little bit. So record labels, we've talked about it a little bit. When the internet came around, uh, mm. everybody knows the Napster stuff. Yeah, Record labels were struggling, like really struggling. Everybody yeah. thought that they were going to like disappear Yeah, because they went from making so much money to making, I mean, it was still a lot of money to us, but like in their right. perspective, it yeah. wasn't that much anymore. So um, basically what they did is they started signing artists to 360 deals. Mm -hmm. And what that is, is so artists used to, the only way that record labels would get paid was, were from sales. So selling CDs, selling vinyl, um, selling eight tracks, uh, penny clubs, like all of mm -hmm. that stuff, you mm -hmm. know, well, then they weren't making any money from sales because the internet was stealing music and people were downloading for 99 cents. Yep. So their idea was uh, we should get a portion of everything that this artist makes because yep. we're developing them, we're pushing them. And so now like you can't do a commercial, you can't do like literally anything that you do that makes money, the record label is going to get a percentage up. Yep. And I would almost guarantee, I don't know for sure that that's the deal that... American Idol people get signed to. Mm, so yeah. it, it's not only like the recorded music part of it. It's it's going to be everything that you do. Yeah. Um, you decide to appear in a, like you said, a commercial or a movie or something. Yeah. Or likeness, oh, yeah. You know? So, so it's, it's very, um, what's the word I'm looking for? It's dystopian. <laughs> I guess so. Yeah. It's like you won and like you think that you're going to, um, make a lot of money and um, a lot of times you really won't like yeah. I know um, one of my really good friends was like runner up on American Idol and I think that she's fine mm -hmm. I don't think that she's killing it Yeah, I think that she's an average working American kind of fine mm -hmm. you know like salary normal salary kind of fine Right. I think that People have made a lot of money off of her. Yeah. Businesses sure. have made a lot of money, but as far as her herself, she really hasn't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, it doesn't mean that you're going to have a great musical career to be on a TV singing show. It just doesn't. Yeah, um, and that's sure. why I've heard my entire life, like people have always come up to me like, oh, you should go on The Voice. And like, I have considered it, mm -hmm. but at the end of the day, like... I don't know. I, I, I don't think that that's really like the path that I really want to take because right. it also is very hard on people because um, kind of like we were watching that TV show, The Boys last night, right. the music industry is very similar. Yeah. If you come in mm -hmm. and you're a little fish mm -hmm. and you're thrown into immediate big pond of yeah. music industry, bad things can happen. Mm -hmm. Really, really bad things. Yeah. Um, because usually, right, the the way that a lot of artists' careers are working now is you work, you hustle, you hustle, you hustle, you learn along the way, you fail, you try, you fail, you try, yeah. you, you learn who the stakes are, you learn what the deals are. People who win TV talent shows don't do that. Yeah. They literally go from like Little Fish to like, the ocean yeah for sure so like yeah 
you know, you have to consider that too. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of negativity. There's a lot of negative things that can happen um, when you make a move like that. Yeah. So you have to consider that too. And yeah. that's not even musical stuff. That's just like life stuff. Yeah, for sure. Um, yeah. I think you guys know where I'm going with that. Yeah. <laughs> I don't yeah. think I need to say any, like any specific examples. I mean, just look at that Me Too movement. You yeah, know, like exactly. That's, that's basically, yeah, that kind of stuff that can happen. And um, and it definitely, I'm, I'm sure it still happens all the time. Oh my um, gosh. Yeah. You know, There's for no sure. Way. There's no way it doesn't happen. But, you know, at least as a, as a society, we're having a conversation about it more often and, and, um, you know, and maybe, you know, to, to add a little bit of a a positive like twist to this, like I have been told or I've heard that like, you know, going on those shows is sometimes better if you like go on and then like get, get off the show pretty quickly Mm -hmm. because you might still impact like a large number of people in a very short period of time and then kind of gain your own following through that. I still don't know what kind of contracts you have to sign that that might kind of make that tougher. But, um, you know, you don't have to win to to potentially, quote unquote, win. You know what I mean? Yeah. This one's tricky. So, yeah. Because, I mean, it, it can do great things, um, but it doesn't it doesn't. Um, what's the word? Guarantee great things. Yeah. That's the word I'm looking for. And I've heard a lot more bad than good. Me, too. Yeah. Yeah. Me, too. And so I've always been really nervous about it. Um. Just for all the reasons we said. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here's another one. Um, I've booked a show. People will come. Yeah. Um, most of you listening who have ever played a show know this is not true. Um, most of you that haven't ever played a show but have gone to a show might also know this is not true. If you've gone to support a friend, for example, Um yeah, booking a show doesn't guarantee people, obviously. Um, I mean, if you book at like a brewery or something where there's a guaranteed crowd, then that's a little bit different. But that whole show structure is different too. Like it's less of a show, more of a gig. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you you book something, a show, a tour, whatever, like you need to, to promote and you need to, um, you know, ideally the venue would help with that too. But a lot of the time they don't. Um, so it's really kind of up to you. Um, and if you have any hope of not only making new fans, but like making a little bit of money off of merch, ticket sales or whatever, then, you know, you need to push the show and, and, um, you know, market it and, and send out text messages to your friends and stuff like that. But yeah, I mean, yeah, I mean, I agree with you. The tricky thing about this one is, um, it depends on the size of the show, but usually for like smaller shows, all of the marketing or a large part of the marketing falls on the artist. Um, it, that's more for shows than gigs. If you're playing at a bar, usually the bar does a pretty good job. Like we're running specials tonight, mm-hmm. like yeah. $5 PBR yep. <laughs> or whatever. So, um, yep, totally. But um, for show shows, like at music venues, right? Um, you pretty much have to do all of the marketing. Um, they are literally just the building that you're going to play in. Um, so yeah. I, um, this one I feel like is more for people that are just now starting to get into the industry. Sure. Yeah. Um, cause I think this one's pretty quick 
Yeah, like, you'll learn it very fast. Yeah, for sure. yeah, yeah. And there's nothing more disappointing than expecting a large crowd and then getting there and there's like three or four people. And I know yeah. three or four of you guys are like, oh, she's exaggerating. I'm really not. Like three or four people will like buy your tickets. Yeah, for sure. And, um, you know, that's really, really tough. Um, it's a hard pill to swallow, but I think everybody learns it. Um, yeah, I mean, and kind of a piggyback on that, right. Would be like, oh, like we've booked a tour, yeah. right. Which is like mm -hmm. a whole new step of it. Yeah, yeah. sure. That is like impressive, mm -hmm. but like that doesn't mean you're going to get a large following either. Nope. Nope. Uh, yeah. So um, personal experience with this one, my, um, band throughout my twenties, the silver comet slash the, the sagas later, um, we played the 2012 fans warp tour and, um, you know, we got booked for it out of a showcase and it was a whole lucky situation that, that happens kind of very, very particular. Um, but we went on this tour and, you know, at the time Warp Tour was a massive, massive opportunity because, you know, you were playing 50 shows or 40 shows or something, you know, and you're traveling around with all these very well-known bands and there's like a guaranteed like 17,000 people coming every day. So you'd think, oh yeah, like we're going to get fans, we're going to get famous. And that's exactly what my band thought when we played Warp Tour. But the reality is, you know, we were an unknown band who had somewhere between 500 and 1,000 like followers on Facebook. This is the time when Facebook was a little bit more important for bands. Um, and, you know, by the end of the tour, yeah, we, we did gain some new fans. We probably went to like 2,500 or 3,000. And so, yeah, that, that was great. Um, but it didn't equate to any kind of, um, you know, I guess fiscal investment that we could then turn around and, and put ourselves back on tour. Basically what happened is, you know, we played the tour, we sold our merch, um, which was a lot of work because nobody knew who we were. So we were just going around the venues, you know, like selling to random people. Hey, listen to my band for 60 seconds. If you like it, like you can have the CD for however much you want to pay. Like we were desperate to try to just like push the band. So I do think that helped um, get us some fans. But the reality is that we came back home and it was, it was back to, okay, well, we got to find a day job again. We got to play local shows again. We got to continue to build the name because yeah, we had 4,000 fans, but scattered across almost all 50 States, you know, which is great. But at the same time, like it doesn't mean we could afford to go back out there six months later and we couldn't, we didn't. So, you know, that fan, um, gain that we got like eventually kind of dwindled a little bit over time and and you know even though we didn't lose fans on on facebook like the numbers didn't drop huge like num like amounts we didn't really get like opportunities like big show offers or or opening slots on a tour or anything like that you know it was kind of just like well, that was fun. And that was like a life changing experience. And there's so many great things about that experience that I'd love to talk about in another episode. Um, but it didn't change our lives for sure. Like it didn't make us suddenly famous, suddenly successful. So, um, just because you do a tour doesn't mean you're going to get fans. And even if you do, it doesn't mean they're going to stick around. Yeah. So. I mean, I don't have quite a, I don't have nearly as much experience on this tour topic but I just know just from the way that it kind of goes like e yeah it, it's basically think of a tour as just playing several 
just local shows, but they're spread out. Mm-hmm. Like, but they're way harder to market. Yeah, for sure. So it's like, well, now we have a really hard to market show and they're literally just all over the place. Like, mm-hmm. you, you know, so it, think about it the same way as we did the the shows. Um, yeah, I think that that one's it's pretty straightforward. Really important. Yeah. 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 I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's not even like a myth that I think everyone thinks about all the time. It's just something that like I notice in a lot of younger people too. Um, like there's kids that I teach that are, you know, in their early teens that, you know, are, are really great players and, and are like in bands and trying to like push themselves and they're like, oh yeah, you know, I can't wait to start playing, you know, shows outside of these, you know, kind of like ones that are like designed for them, like shows that their own bands are putting on. And, and I'm like, you know, yeah, dude, go for it and do the thing. But like, keep in mind that it's not going to be, you know, as you're not going to have all your family there and all your friends there like you do now, because, you know, especially if you, if you play often, um, like you're not going to have as many people coming out to the show because they know they can catch you another time. Um, and you know, as you get older, as you get into college and you get out of that, you know, world, like life responsibilities happen and your friends just can't come and see you because now they are married or they have kids or they have a job and they have to like do things that are not fun, but important. Um, so yeah, you can, you can definitely, um, you can, I think come to a realization pretty quickly, uh, as a younger artist that like, no, even your closest friends are not necessarily always going to be there for you. Um, and that's not their fault and it's nothing against them or whatever. It's just kind of reality, you know? Yeah. And I think, you know, it's kind of one of those catch 22s as well of like, nobody cares until everybody cares. So until you start doing well, until you book a really big venue with like, maybe you're opening for a big band, Mm -hmm. that's when people will start coming. Yep. And they'll sure. always be like, hey, buddy, like, yeah, know? so proud of you. Yeah. yeah. Or, or like the worst is like when they're like, can you get me backstage? <laughs> yeah. Hey, man, can you get me a, a, a even just like a free ticket? It's like, yeah, no. <laughs> I know. I was like, I didn't even get a free ticket. Yeah. Right. So, yeah, I mean, that, that one's a challenge, but um, definitely a myth um, for sure. All right. So the next myth. I can't be replaced in my band. <laughs> right. Um, this one is um, interesting because, um, you know, it's one of those things like, I don't want to be like mean and say like, you absolutely can be replaced. Um, but kind of at the end of the day, like you kind of can. Anybody's replaceable. Yeah. yeah. Um, so, you know, Showing your ass, having a bad attitude, um, uh, showing up late, mm-hmm. not being reliable. Um, those are all really, really important things. Yep. And um, you you need to understand, like, you know, um, anybody can be replaced. Yep. I mean, like you were saying earlier, Steve Perry and Journey was replaced. Yeah. Not, I mean... Maybe because of different circumstances, but like, you know, I mean, I mean, yeah, but still he was replaced. Like yeah. if he can get replaced, we all can get replaced. Right. I mean, Queen did a tour with um Paul Rogers. It was a Paul Rogers and Adam Lambert. Adam Lambert. That's who I was thinking of. Yeah. Um, you know, and Freddie Mercury is like on 
beatable. But like, yeah. So point is, you can be replaced, and especially the smaller level of a band you are, the easier it is to replace you. Um, and yeah, it, it's probably going to be easier to replace maybe like a rhythm section member or like you know a guitar player than it is lead singer. But it definitely happens um, all the time. So you know, basically, like you said, like the just have a good attitude, be um, a team player and, and be respectful and, you know, doesn't mean you need to be perfect because nobody is, but, um, you're not invincible for sure. You know, yeah. even if you, even if you own, like if you own the the rights to the band name, like they can still kick you out, create a new band name and then keep playing like, you know, and yeah, you own the rights to the band name, but like, what does that mean? If they're, if yeah. all your band is gone, you know? So. Yeah. It's tricky. That one's, that one's for sure tricky, but definitely a myth that um, I think a lot of people think I don't know that I've heard this one a lot mm. but I have for sure have, oh yeah I can't be replaced I mean I've heard it or they can't replace me yeah I mean I've kind of heard it in not in such a direct way but I have heard it and then like I've also just like heard people say like oh you know if that person of the band left like that they would be done like that's irreplaceable and you know, it's just not true. Um, and, and I think this, this is really, it's a myth that, um, is maybe not something that's talked about all the time, but it might be something that that you think on the inside, like, you know, and, and it could be one of those situations where like, maybe you do a lot of work for the band, you know, you do a lot of the social media and you do a lot of the, um, you know, or the recording or, or the, 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 reaching out to venues, booking, that's the word I'm looking for. Um, and, you know, yeah, those are important things, but, and you should be valued for that. And if you're not being valued for that, then, you know, it's time for a conversation or it's time for you to move on to something better. But um, don't think that that gives you the right to also like a hold power over the band because, you know, anybody can book a show if they learn how and anybody can learn how to play an instrument. I mean, most of this stuff is just like skills you pick up like any other thing in life. So, you know, almost anything besides maybe being an incredible singer, like anybody can do, you know? Yeah. And then at that point you just need to find the singer. So. Yeah. I mean, for obviously like in the case of queen, like that was a different circumstance than sure. the majority of what we're talking about, but kind of what we're talking about is like, you know, leave your ego at the door. Yeah. Like, um, you know, try as hard as everybody else is, mm -hmm. that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, that, that one's definitely important. And then our last myth that we're going to talk about today is social media followers equal fans. Nope. That will maybe in turn <laughs> buy tickets to your shows mm -hmm. or buy merch right. or anything like that, mm -hmm. that will make you money. Yeah. And that's, uh, 100% not true uh or not 100% not true but it's generally not true <laughs> yeah right um because sure yeah having followers a lot of times means that you have connected with those people in those cities mm -hmm. um but if you're just like doing well on tiktok or something like chances are most of those people aren't going to come to your show when you come through town yeah like right. they just hit the plus sign when they saw your video on their for you page mm -hmm. Like that's, that's not enough for most people. Yeah, for sure. Um, it kind of goes back to what I was talking about earlier. Like the way to 
So this is going to sound like it's it's going to sound very businessy and not artistic at all. Mm -hmm. But think about like your music is a product and you are a salesman. Yeah. Right. So what's the best way to sell to people to make advertisements on social media or to meet people in person and shake their hand and talk to them and tell them why your product is great? Mm hmm. Like definitely the latter is going to be yeah. more effective, yeah, like 100 percent. Sure. Mm -hmm. um, and there are exceptions to this. Like I think for me, like being very genuine on social media is super important. Like I like genuine brands mm -hmm. on social media. Yeah. Um, but that doesn't necessarily mean that when they come through town, I'm going to buy a ticket. Right. You know what I mean? Like yeah, that's just sure. it's just not really how it works. Yeah. So, um, you know, it's kind of a kind of goes back to the whole point of this podcast like the music business is just hard like yeah playing gigs is not going to guarantee you that you're gonna be a success like having followers doesn't mean that you're gonna be like a huge success For i mean sure. it definitely can help but um like monetarily like it doesn't always equate to that yeah. um it's not always going to pay the bills to have you know tiktok followers yeah. um i mean i, I know three people off the top of my head that uh, either on TikTok or Instagram have somewhere between like 40,000 and 80,000 followers. Like you would think like, oh man, this person is like really blowing up. Like they're, they're seeing success. They're probably paying their bills through like their art. And like all three of them either still live at home or are like really struggling to make money and, and have their own place and like do their own thing. So, you know, um, yeah, it's definitely not the end all be all. It can help. I mean, sure. it's it definitely, it's better to have 80,000 followers than 800, no doubt, you know, and, and, um, that's just because of the, the pure exposure alone. You're just getting your stuff out there and, and somebody may hear it that could really make a difference for you. But well, and when you go to book shows, that is something that people look at. Yeah, like, for sure. It, when you sign up or when you talk to a record label, that is something they're going to look at. But I think I'm talking just strictly about like monetary yeah, or just like. Yeah, just monetary. That's or, really where I'm, my head is right now. It's like that doesn't mean like that you're going to have like a fan base that is going to support support you. Yeah, right. Like they're going to support you from a like a social media standpoint. Sure. Like they're going to be like, yeah, great cover. But mm -hmm. like when it comes to like, oh, like I'll be homeless if I don't pay my rent this month. Mm hmm those people probably are not going to be there for you. <laughs> like yeah. mm -hmm. it's not, you know, whereas if you really have like hardcore fans, what is that rule? It's like for every, Oh, what is it? For every thou thousand people, you need to have like 10 to, or I think it's every 10,000 for every 10,000 followers you have. If you have a hundred fans, I think that's the statistics. They say that you can usually make a living. Like if you have a hundred like hardcore, like Patreon people, like mm. people who like monetarily like help you out. Or like if you do a Kickstarter and say like, you know, I'm going to lose this. Like if yeah. you have a hundred yeah. people that are willing to help, like that's, that's kind of like a measure of success. Yeah. Um, yeah, for sure. I mean, cause even if you just think about the numbers of like, Let's say those hundred people are paying 
um, 10 bucks a pop, yeah. 10, buck, 10 bucks a month in your yeah. Patreon. That's a thousand dollars a month in your Patreon. I mean, that's, that's more than some people make like in, in their oh lives, gosh, you know, yeah. at one job. So like, you know, for sure it can make a huge difference. I mean, yeah, for sure. So, um, this one's a, another tricky one. Cause like, yes, followers, like our fans to some degree, um, but having followers doesn't mean that you're going to be like this huge success. And mm -hmm. like, um, there are probably, I would bet like some TikTok people that are like borderline homeless. Yeah, for sure. Like, it's probably a lot. Just, yeah. yeah. Like, you know, it's just the way that it is. Yeah. Um, unfortunately. So I would say don't always put your egg, all of your eggs into the follower basket yeah. basket yeah. you know don't pay for bot followers too by the way this is a yeah. thing that happens it's it's not going to help you because people even even nowadays like like just average people can tell if you're like if you've got bot followers you right know? well you'll have like fifty thousand followers and then you'll have like 10 likes on every photo yeah exactly so that's right. what sucks right um so yeah just just be genuine with this um as much as you can and you know it will work out for you I hope. I hope, right? I mean, yeah, I there's an element of luck with all of it, but... For sure. You know. Well, thank you so much for listening to this episode of Sex, Drugs, and Disappointment. If you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to leave us a review and connect with us more on Instagram and TikTok at SDD Podcast. Each episode is also available in video format on YouTube. And don't forget... Have fun, don't do too much, and it's gonna happen. Dance.